Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. I want to echo what was announced earlier. Please come tonight at 6 o'clock. It will be a one-hour service. I know that you will enjoy the Living Last Supper presented by the Fort Orchard Bible Church. We shared this five years ago, and I know you will enjoy it. And I also want to encourage you, please come and join us on Good Friday. It's a great opportunity to invite friends to come and share in these special services this time of year. Uh, This week also begins Passover. I believe it's on Monday night at 6 p.m., I believe, that uh, uh, Passover begins uh, in Jewish homes. And one of the statements that is made every year in a Jewish home uh, at Passover time is, next year in Jerusalem, next year in Jerusalem, next month, I'll be in Jerusalem. (laughs) So I can say next month in Jerusalem. And next month uh, in Jerusalem, I will be, uh, we will be, uh, those of us who are traveling together, will be uh, actually uh, going up to the temple area, uh, at least uh, the steps going up the southern part of the temple. Today we're going to share in a poem. We're going to take just a a one-day week break here from Colossians. And we are going to have a lesson this morning from uh, the theme for Palm Sunday as we prepare our hearts for the Passion Week. And uh, this is a good week for us to, every one of us, to spend spend time in the Scriptures, to read through the uh, stories from the Gospels of the last week of our Lord's life, to meditate and prepare our hearts, especially as we return on Friday and next Sunday to celebrate Good Friday and Easter. So this morning we're going to consider from Matthew chapter 21. I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. Each of the Gospels bring us an account of what we call Palm Sunday and uh, the Jesus approach to Jerusalem. But let's, uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we open your word, we pray that our hearts will be sensitive to your words. We will hear your words. And Lord, that we will be encouraged and draw closer to you through our time in worship, in singing, and in Bible study this morning, in our reading together. And bless our children as they continue to share also in your word. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As they approach, verse 1, Jerusalem, came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them right away, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to your daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, from Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. One of the last Old Testament prophets, Zechariah, Malachi, and uh, the prophet Zechariah, there are so many New Testament quotes from the book of Zechariah, and this is one of them. See, say to the daughter of Zion, your king comes to you gentle, riding on a donkey, not coming for war, not coming to conquer, but coming as the king on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went. And they did just as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt. They placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. 
And the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The uh, approach, one of my favorite places in, in Jerusalem is the eastern gate. This is the, this is the eastern gate uh, as it looks today. And this would be, if you were, if you were to walk, if, obviously you can't walk out of that gate because it's blocked up. But if you could walk out of this gate and walk this way, you would go toward the Mount of Olives to the, to the east, uh, that way um, from Jerusalem. This eastern gate, uh, as I've mentioned before, you'll notice is blocked up today with, with stones. You cannot go through it. And that's also because there is a, also another prophecy from the book of Zechariah. And in Zechariah, uh, we are told in the very, toward the very end of Zechariah, which is one of the very last books of the Old Testament, we are told in Zechariah chapter 14 that when the Messiah comes, on verse 4, let me just read it to you, on that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountains moving north, half moving south. You will flee by the mountain valley, for it will extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. And so because of that, their tradition in, in Judaism is that the Messiah will come from the Mount of Olives and will come into the eastern gate to present himself to the temple to inaugurate the Messianic thousand-year uh, kingdom. And so because of that, the, uh, the Ottoman Empire, they blocked up the gate, the eastern gate, right? So no Messiah can walk through it, Okay. That's, that's why it's blocked up. It's been that way for centuries. This gate sits right above the original eastern gate, which is right below it because Jerusalem's been destroyed and rebuilt about 18 times. And because of that, uh, this gate sits right above, but we know the old gate is the same design almost exactly below it from archaeological uh, digging. So this is the eastern gate. We'll be there a month from now. Um, I'm not sure. I, I did one time, my first trip to Israel, I really wanted to get close to that gate, take pictures of it. So I foolishly went out there at 6.30 in the morning with my you know, tourist camera taking pictures and right away was surrounded by police and said, you can't be here, you need to leave. <laughs> okay? uh, so I left. Um, so the Eastern Gate. Uh, Palm Sunday. You know, we, we all have pictures in our mind and pictures in our Bible, pictures in Bible story books, of, of films that have made, the Jesus movie and so forth, of Jesus coming to Jerusalem. And as he comes uh, on the donkey in peace, but he comes as a king. And the great day of, you know, the, the, the Gospels clearly paint this picture of a huge celebration of, uh, you know, the idea of, of they laying their, their uh, coats on his donkey for him to sit on. And the disciples and the others who have come from Bethany. Bethany is the home of uh, Mary and uh, Martha and Lazarus. And we are told specifically in John, I believe it's in John, that uh, they many had come because they had seen the resurrection of Lazarus. Because they knew of that story, the resurrection of Lazarus, and that, that story had spread like wildfire. He had, let, he had raised this man from the dead. And it says many people came because of that. They wanted to see Lazarus as well, it said, because of this astounding miracle. 
And as they, as they come to Jerusalem and they lay their coats on the donkey and they put him on the donkey and they lead him toward the gate. And you'll notice that we aren't sure exactly what gate he came in that time. Many believe it was the Huldah Gate, which leads, uh, comes in from the south to the east and came up the, the steps that we will see there when we go there next month, the steps that go up to Herod's temple that uh, many believe he came in that direction from the south and came in, whether that or from the eastern gate that went right in. They laid, they laid palm branches. The kids brought in palm branches. And this is something that is so t- uh, connected with the story. And this is why it's called Palm Sunday, right? Because the, and it's always the children waving the palm branches. And the idea where this comes from is not the Old Testament, but from the Maccabean period between the Old and New Testament, when for a period of time, uh, the Jews had thrown off their captors, the Syrians at that time, established an independent um, a government, army, coins. And, and it says that when they, when they came into Jerusalem, they, they laid, for the Maccabees, they laid the palm branches on the ground and celebrated. And this tradition really uh, seemed to have stuck more from that than anything. The idea from that Maccabean period of bringing palm branches and laying them down for the, for the, for the king, the governor, the ruler, to come in, and so we have this this scene, and, and as, as they come into the temple courts, and of course, we connect the story of the children waving palm branches as Jesus comes to Jerusalem, and I'm sure this is what took place. The interesting thing is, it's, in Ma- it's, it's Matthew that really tells us of the children's involvement, and specifically, none of the none of the authors in the Gospels specifically mention. Uh, children waving as he came to Jerusalem, although I'm sure they did. But it's in Matthew, as we read the rest of this story, and uh, let's look at verse 11. The crowds answer when they said, who is this? Some of the people who wanted to know what, what was going on. Because you've got to remember, for Passover in Jerusalem in the, in the first century, Passover is one of three holidays when every Jewish male is supposed to come to Jerusalem, if at all possible, from all over the world. That's why 50 days later at Pentecost, which they also were to come for that, we are specifically told of all these people from all these lands around the world and the, and the miracle of tongues as they heard the gospel in their own language, the Jews that came from all over the world, that this, this is the time when this little area of the old city of Jerusalem is packed. It's packed. Think of the last time you were in somewhere where where the crowds were, I, I, I think of a few times back some years ago, well, my oldest granddaughter is going to graduate from high school this year. When she was a baby, I remember when they, they served at the Port Orchard Church as associate pastor, her husband did, and they came over. We went down for the Christmas tree lighting on Christmas Eve in Seattle, and, they, and she brought the, uh, the stroller with the baby in it, and we were down there, our family was down there, and I'll tell you, it was just, it was a nice day. It wasn't raining that day, you know, and so on. And it was just packed. And we can remember with the stroller trying to weave our way like a snake through the crowds um, because it was so crowded. And we got separated. And, uh, you know, the, the, and, and my daughter and her husband with the baby were back there, and we were over here, you know, trying to find them. This is Jerusalem at Passover. It's packed. There are pilgrims from all over the world crushing into this city. Uh, some of the ancient writers talk about the when they when they slew the lambs for the Passover, that the the blood ran out of the city like a river. There was so much of it, so much of it. This is this is what it's like. Think of the last time you were in that type of a crowd where you could hardly move because of the crowd. And this is this is what's going on. And they come there, and then here here comes 
this crowd coming from the east, coming from the Mount of Olives, coming down through the valley, the Kidron Valley, back up to the city. And the palm branches and the quoting Old Testament scriptures and quoting scriptures that every Jew knew was connected to the Messiah. He who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, save now. Save now to the son of David. Everybody knew what they were saying. They are proclaiming whoever this is as Messiah. And those who weren't, hadn't heard, who is this? What's going on here? Who, who, who is this? And the crowds answer in verse 11, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple area. Now, in the, in the temple area, if you can see here, and uh, if you get a picture out of the, of the Herod's first century temple, this is the model that was built. You can find this on the Internet, lots of pictures of it. We'll see this as well when we're there. But in Herod's temple, which is the, the, the core of the temple here, and, of course, the Holy of Holies here, the inner court for the Jews, this area out here, all along this area by the colonnades, is the area of the court of the Gentiles where, where people were allowed to come in. And again, think of this picture, packed with people. And it's in this place that they are selling the merchandise. They are selling the sacrifices. They are selling for, because you, you come there and you have to bring a sacrifice. And there were certain sacrifices that were acceptable and you had to buy them. And the money had to be changed from your currency to the correct currency, uh, actually a currency from Sidon at the time, to use to buy the sacrifice the animals, the pigeons, the birds, and, and you had to exchange money. And we know what was going on then was some corruption where people were taking advantage of the pilgrims who came. And, and you know, it's, it's like, you know, you have no choice. There's no ATM down the street to go. You know, you have no choice. You have to go to them. And you have no choice. You had to buy the sacrifice from them. And evidently there, there was a, a corruption of taking advantage of the people and oppressing them by, by selling it at inflated prices and maybe cheating on the exchange rates and everything else. And this is all going on in this area of the temple courts where it's packed and people are there, families. Um, and, and we're going to see what takes place here. It's in that area, it says in verse 12, Jesus entered the temple area and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And he says, it is written, he said, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. Now, I know sometimes the pictures I see of that, there's like a small group around the money changers and so on that Jesus, and they weren't all, they weren't all corrupt. It was, I mean, this had, you had to buy your, your sacrifices somewhere, but they had moved it into these temple courts and they were taken advantage. But you've got to think of this again. Think of this room packed wall to wall with people. Think of this. There used to be a sign out somewhere around here that said our capacity was 999 or something like that. I don't know. It was. It's true. I don't know where that came from because there's no way that you can get 999 people in here unless you're standing up along the sides there or something. Um, I have been here where, where people have sat shoulder to shoulder. But think of us being packed in here. With, with the aisles full, spilling out over the stage, and all of a sudden a commotion like this breaking out in a crowd like this of somebody throwing the tables over, throwing the benches, driving the money changers out, and yelling. And you can imagine the, all of a sudden the quiet that would come over that section of the, of the temple courts that, what is he doing? How dare he? And why didn't somebody stop him? 
Why didn't somebody step in and say, no, we always do this? He's certainly, he's one person. His disciples aren't going to fight anybody. Why didn't they stop him? You know, the, 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 the notoriety and the crowds and the publicity about Jesus has spread. And everybody's aware he's a prophet. And they know from the Old Testament. It says he's the prophet from Galilee. We know he was more than a prophet. But everybody knew in the Old Testament, prophets did these kind of things every so often. And upset things quite a bit. He throws everything. He changes. He runs them out. And he, and he condemns them and says, you've made it into a house of, of, of thieves. A den of thieves. And then notice what it says. This is in the temple courts. The blind... And the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. He healed them. There was a strong tradition at this time by the rabbis, dating back to the time of David, where it goes when we looked at this in our study of Jerusalem a few weeks ago on Sunday night, when, when David came to conquer Jerusalem, and it was so secure that Jebusite said even the lame and the blind could defend the city. And because of that, that, that tradition stuck with an Old Testament uh, passage from from the law about about those with any kind of uh, lame and blindness going into the holy of holy the, the temple the inner court where the Jews could go to offer sacrifice with any kind of defect that's just the way it is written there. But these temple courts should not have been off limits, but they were not allowed in there. The rabbis and the and the and the chief the priests and so on did all they could to keep them out. But they came to Jesus. They followed Jesus into the city. People were, were trying to get healed. People that had these needs came, and they came to Jesus. And they came in these temple courts after he drove out the money changers and upset everything in this packed crowd. And he stops, and he starts to heal. This is the only time we find healing in Jerusalem in the Gospels. This is the only time in Jerusalem we find him healing people. And he's, and he's making the blind to see. And he's making the lame to walk, clearly in, in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy where it says in the prophets that the blind will see and the lame will walk during the Messianic age when the Messiah comes. And he's healing them. And he's healing them in these temple courts. And then you notice what it says here. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the notice the wonderful things Matthew tells us. Matthew, the most Jewish of all the, the Gospels. When he saw the wonderful things he did, and here's the only place where it talks about children on Palm Sunday. And the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. This is where the children show up on Palm Sunday, right here. Needless to say, they were there when he came. I'm sure they were there as the pictures show with their parents. But this is the mention of children on Palm Sunday. In the temple courts, after this commotion and this un, un, unbelievable scene of driving out the money changers and the, and, the, and the sellers of the sacrifice, and then healing in defiance of many of the religious leaders, healing in the temple on this day, the blind and the lame, the children, and you notice this is specifically the children that are mentioned. It's the children who begin to cry out, and they shout, save now, Hosanna to the son of David. And the leaders were indignant. Do you not hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. And he left them. 
He left them. And that word, this, the, 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 the way this word is written in the Greek here, this, this verbal part, participle, he left them. It's, it's very precise. It's, it's very, it's a strong word. This is more than just, it's time to go now. It's like a purposeful, I'm leaving you. And he turned and he left them. And he left the temple courts after their accusations against him. And he went back to Bethany where he spent the nights. And I, you know, I wonder about this, this passage. This passage of why did, why did the children all of a sudden, why did they break out in praise? Why in the temple courts when there is this danger? When there are those who we know already, we know already from the Gospels, there are those who are planning to kill him. Why would the children break out in praise almost on their own? Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna, save now, son of David. Oh, I can, I don't know, There's, we aren't told any more details. But I know children. I had four of them. I still have four of them. <laughs> I got 12 grandchildren, <laughs> 13 on the way. I know watching these little kids, I'm not so little even. I think I saw Axel up here, didn't I, helping out there? I'm trying to be in Kitsbia. Oh, the children up here. And I see them up here, and I know them from, from Axel on down to the littlest ones as they, as they walked out and, and gave me a high five, one of them. You know, I know these children, and I know what children do. And you know, children, especially younger children, have a strong tendency to what? To echo and mimic their parents and the adults. They heard... They heard the parents. They heard the adults on the way to Jerusalem from Mount of Olives. They heard them shouting, Hosanna, save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were part of that celebration. They were part of that joy. And no one told them when they came into the temple area that they weren't supposed to keep doing that. Nobody told them that. They didn't understand that they probably wasn't really popular. I mean, this is different. Coming down from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem when they were surrounded by their people and their disciples and the people coming out to greet them. But they are in the temple courts now. They have just, Jesus has just completely upset everything. And he has certainly offended an awful lot of people, powerful people. The Romans, it, the uh, Romans are watching the whole thing. There's a there's an area of, north of the of the of the of the temple grounds here to the north, Fortress Antonio, where the four towers are there, and there was a place where the Romans could keep an eye on everything going down there, and they could actually come up in the temple quickly if they had to, because the last thing anybody wanted was any kind of a riot or upset in the temple at Passover time. They'd been through that. The children didn't know that. Children didn't know this was maybe not the place to start shouting Hosanna, save now to the son of David again. But they did. And Jesus goes out and leaves the temple. What do we have on that day? I want to suggest to you three responses to the Lord Jesus Christ on this day. This is a day that they have pointed to Old Testament scriptures that this is in fulfillment of the scriptures. This is a day where right 
in the temple courts. They have witnessed a blind person all of a sudden seeing. And you, can you imagine what it was like for a blind person who had been blind from birth to, to get that blast of, of vision and color and how they would have responded? And everybody saw this and it was more than one? Can you imagine what it was like for a, for a person, man, woman, young person who had never walked, who had been carried all the time, to all of a sudden get up and, and begin to lose their legs and, 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 and celebrate. And I mean, wouldn't they be happy? Wouldn't they be rejoicing? Amen. What do you do? How do you respond to this? At what point do you finally acknowledge what has been being said all along? I know some of you, are, actually several of you, are in Bible study fellowship this year. God bless you. Lord bless you for making that commitment because it is a real commitment and it's a great ministry. We have Bible study fellowship all day on Tuesday here now. We have them at night and we have them in the morning as well for a, an overflow group. And we're glad to have them here because we are very committed to what they are doing of studying God's Word. And you're studying the Gospel of John this year, right? So Gospel of John, chapter 12. We'll look at two of the responses from John chapter uh, 12. John chapter 12. Response number one, verse 37. During this is the same this is the same context, okay? Because you notice at the end of verse thirty six, when he had finished speaking, Jesus left them. Verse thirty seven. Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs, in their presence, they still would not believe him. They chose not to believe him. Yeah, after all these miraculous signs, this was no sleight of hand. This is no trickery. They saw the blind see, and he may have done other miracles. Those who couldn't speak to loosen their tongues. Those who couldn't hear to hear like he always did. They still would not believe him. And it tells us why. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe. Because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts. So they could neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. I, when, did G, when did Isaiah see Jesus' glory, by the way? When did he see? Did he, he, it was a some vision, or is it possible in Isaiah 6, when he beheld the throne room of God and fell down and said, What? Woe is me, I am dead. For my, I've seen God. And he heard those voices, Holy, holy, holy. Maybe that's what he's talking about. But he prophesied, so they're, they're not going to believe those who were the closest to the scriptures, those who were closest, those who served in the temple, the high priesthood, those who went into the Holy of Holies and brought the sacrifices to the smoke and burning incense, the altar, they, they would not believe. They chose not to believe. The second group follows next. 
Because it says this, verse 42. Yet at the same time, at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. People were believing. There were leaders. There were Pharisees, scribes, and those of the priesthood who saw the miracles. And they believed. They believed. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue for they loved praise from men more than praise from God. This is an interesting question. You can think about this this week. These are people who have secret belief. Do you think they're believers in what... Are they in the same category as the others who believed, the disciples? It says they believed, right? It didn't say that they were thinking about it. It says they believed, but they were not willing to be public about it, let anybody know about it because of their fear of the leaders and what would happen to them. But it does say they believed. And Jesus goes on to say, look at verse 44, Jesus cries out, And maybe he's crying this out for those people especially because John just told us these people believe, but they're not going to say anything. Jesus cries out, when a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. And you can read the rest of what he says here. So maybe it's a challenge to these people. What do you believe? You believe in me, then you believe in God. What are you going to do? But it does say they believed. The third group, the third group are those who confessed belief in the Messiah. And I go back to Matthew for this. Because of all the people there, and I'm sure there are many in the temple courts. I'm talking about this, this, this critical moment in the temple courts. There probably are many others who believe, but it's interesting. It is specifically the children who are mentioned. It doesn't say anything about adults and their parents and grandparents all of a sudden shouting Hosanna to the son of David. Save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord in the temple courts. But the children do. And it is the faith of of the children that comes to the forefront in the temple courts who are willing to confess no matter what else is going on, no matter who's saying be quiet, they are willing to open their mouth and confess their belief because they've they've heard it, they've seen it, they've seen it, and they believe. What do they believe? How much of the Old Testament do they understand? How much of the details? How much of the doctrine and theology? But they believe and they confess. He is the son of David. He is the son of David. And as we, as we conclude, I just want, I want to bring this to you this morning to maybe begin your thinking about the Passion Week. To kind of enter into that world a little bit. I know there are some, there are some good films. There are some good... But, but, but read the Bible. Read the, read the book. This is a great week. To, to, there, there's, there's four Gospels. You could take one account each day and read from Palm Sunday to the resurrection. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and come Friday, right? 
to celebrate Good Friday together. Read and point out in our class this morning that Keith was teaching, 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection chapter in the Bible. Some of you say there is no resurrection. If there is no resurrection, Jesus is not raised. If Jesus is not raised, then we are not raised. And if we are not going to be raised, we are of all people are the biggest fools because we're preaching a ridiculous lie. But God, thanks to God, it's true. Read the book this week, friends. Read the Bible. And I want to, as we come to the conclusion of this, I do want to just take a moment, too, to tell you this. Because this is the day, you know, we associate children and palm branches with Palm Sunday, right? That's almost always the picture you see. You never see a picture of just adults on Palm Sunday. Children are always prominent. In the temple courts, it's the children who are very prominent because they are confessing their belief in Christ, their simple belief in Christ. And it fits with the Bible. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, the people are told by Moses, with your children, you talk to them about these things. You teach your children, read it. When you sit down, when you lie down to rest for the evening, when you stand up, talk to them. Tell them the stories. Tell them about God. Tell them your story of faith. And throughout that time period of, of, the, of, of the Exodus and Joshua, they are told over and over, leave these stones here as a monument. Put these stones, make a pile, so that in future generations, when your children come and say, what, are, what, are, what do these stones mean? You tell them. You tell them. Tell them the story of God. Don't forget. You are, listen, friends, you all know and I know. We are painfully aware of this. Sometimes with our own families and friends. We are one generation away in our own families. Right? From the story of faith ending. Come on, you know that, right? One generation away. Imagine that. One generation is all it takes in a family story of faith I think of my family's story of faith and my mom's side and where we're one generation where that story could come to an end in the, in, in the Walter Shamaria family. Tell them. And in the Gospels, is it not prominent where the Lord says, wait a minute, he, he, got, he got indignant with these money changers. You know when else we see Jesus' anger rise? With his own disciples. When they said, no, he's too busy today to talk to children. No, no, no. And it says, Jesus was hot. He was angry. He said, don't you dare do that. Don't you dare tell those children they can't come. You let them come here. And he takes time and he picks them up and he blesses these little ragtag children, dusty and walking these streets of Galilee and, 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 the, and these poor people, that, the common people, and picks them up and, and holds them and blesses them. And he says, unless you come with the faith of a child, you will not come. And that's just as true today. You know that? There is a point at which a person has to come to simple faith and to let go and say, I don't understand all of this. I don't understand all about God. I can't comprehend the, the, 
that God could become man, that he could die on the cross, rise from the dead. I, uh, but I heard it and I believe it. And there's a point at which it's a matter of simple faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I also want you to know as I conclude today, friends, this is why at the Brian Bible Church, and I'm not just saying this because I've heard about it, I grew up in this church. Right? We're talking about people in this morning in the hospital that I visited this week who were my children's church teachers when I was this age, who were my mentors when I was a young person and needed guidance in my life in college and so on and, and went to Norm MacDonald and gave me the best advice that anybody would, could have given me. And Barb Snyder and Chuck raised me in, in children's church. I grew up here. I know this, and I'm telling you this is true, friends. This is why children and youth ministry is a priority at this church. Because we believe, we believe they have every right to be introduced to the Lord Jesus Christ at the young age and to be shaped and molded to serve Him and to follow Him. And we are very committed to that. I want you to know that if you're visiting with us today, we are very committed to that. And we will be. Because we are biblical. And the Apostle Paul told Timothy, Timothy, from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you what? Huh? Say it. Wise unto salvation. This is a good time of year to recommit ourselves to the important ministry to children and youth as families and as a church community that we are here that they might echo. And yes, they may copy us. And they may follow us. And they might be nurtured. And we may design opportunities in your home and in our church to work together to bring them up in the things of the Lord as the apostles tell us that we are to do. I thank the Lord on that day. It was the children who broke out in praise. Hosanna. I believe. Save now. The Son of David is here. And they confessed their faith. Let's close our service, our final song. Continue to worship together. And again, I look forward to you joining us tonight as we celebrate the Last Supper, the living Last Supper. Three groups of people. There are those who continue to choose not to believe. If that's you, that will not, you will not have that opportunity forever. We will all die, and it's too late then. Why don't you choose today? Why don't you choose life and choose Christ and receive his forgiveness for sins today? And friends, as you live your life this week, believers, share the gospel. Share the good news. People will believe. We are thankful for those who have come in faith. And I am so thankful for the children and young people in our church and what joy that is to us to see them come to Christ. But that second group of secret believers, I just want to remind you, don't give up. 
Don't give up on people. We're going to come and gather on Good Friday. Our Lord Jesus Christ, after he died on the cross, and his disciples scattered, even denied they knew him. Peter swore up and down, never met the man. And he took him down from the cross. And it says later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Christ. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly believed because he feared his fellow Jews. And with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. And they brought the myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. They took his body off the cross, wrapped it, put the spices on it, and buried it in Joseph's own grave. These are two men who were secret believers of Jesus. Maybe Joseph was one of those men in the temple courts. But when the time came that nobody else would dare open their mouth that they knew him, these two men finally confessed their faith and stepped forward and did the most courageous thing any disciple ever did. Don't give up on people. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep encouraging them. Keep nurturing them. They will step forward and acknowledge, yes, I I know Christ as Savior. I know it's time to go, and you're standing, so you know I'm done, right? But before you leave, I just have one more thing. I I want you to get in the Word this week. I have a question for you. I have a question for you that I'd like you to, to consider. And you can think about this. Don't tell me on the way out today because I want you to think about this. The same context of Palm Sunday, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. Some Greek. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew... Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus, These Greeks want to see you. And Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless the kernel of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. If it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it. For eternity, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled. And we hear not a word about the Greeks. So my question for you is to think about it. Did Jesus just ignore this request? Did he answer their request? And if he did, what was his answer? Think about that. What do you think? Father, we gather today and we leave this place uh, rejoicing in you when thinking about your word, thinking about this detailed accounts from the Gospels of the final week, the disproportionate amount of the Gospel writings that are given to the final week of your life, the life of our Lord on earth, leading up to the glorious resurrection. May we meditate it, may we contemplate it this week. Father, even as we gather, we We always remember that we have brothers and sisters around the world who gather as we do. Many of them gather in great danger, great poverty, 
a great peril. And we, we've even heard news this morning in Egypt of, of bombing of Christian churches by terrorists that have taken lives. And Lord, uh, we are one in the body of Christ. And we pray for our brothers and sisters. And we pray that even in these horrible events, that your grace and mercy would be shown. And that through these events even, one would come to Christ. We lift him up today. We leave this place with the joy and also with the conviction that we have a world to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.